0: Welcome to Digital Vision. In this episode, I talk with Natalie Webb on user-centered design. Thanks very much for talking to me today. You're welcome. So, you're in the field of usability. hmm And I remember a few years ago, uh, it, was, uh, it was a challenge for people to be able to put together some HTML and whack up a web page, and they felt that that was important. And then eventually they decided that they wanted to get some graphic designers in to be able to make their web pages look pretty. Mm-hmm. Now we're at a new stage where it's not enough to have engineers and graphic designers we have got this whole usability thing to do with websites as well. How did this come about? How did this become a popular thing that it's not just enough now for a website to look good, but for people who actually use it and find it easy to navigate?
1: Well, I think it's interesting in terms of user experience and usability. I think in the UK around five or six years ago, it was more challenging for companies like Amberlight to go and sell doing usability and getting feedback from customers about how well your site or your mobile phone works. At the moment, it's extremely busy. And um, there was a report by a company called eConsultancy that reckoned that the, f- the industry is growing by about 20%. So we're really, really humming along. And I think that's because, how do you say, the usefulness of usability, yeah. I think, is more accepted from the business, a lot of the businesses that we talk to. And as things get more competitive, people are looking for ways to differentiate themselves, of course, in terms of, say, their websites or their mobile phones. Um, I think the other thing to keep in mind with usability and user experience is actually it's been around for a long time as well. So it started off more of the ergonomics point of view, that the field of human-computer interaction has been around for decades. But I think we see more of it now because more things are becoming computerised so it's more pervasive in our lives and we rely on it more and it's uh, becoming more commercial so it's becoming more important in the business sense but for example i was reading about the the lisa computer which was Mm -hmm. the first computer that apple did in terms of a personal computer And the guy who was designing the the menu systems and interactions in 1983 did lots of usability and lots of user testing.
0: Right, that's obviously quite some time ago. So
1: yeah, Hmm. I think it's been around for a while, but in terms of say more commercial usability it's it's been uh, getting busier and busier.
0: Okay, so businesses are willing to put uh, more money into usability to come up with a better product. Yeah. Is that really enough to differentiate them from any other product? Is it more about how it looks or is it more about how people find it to use?
1: Well, I think you can see um, designing for user experience both in terms of adding value and both in terms of efficiency. So first thing we think about adding value, it's around things like you're saying, like being able to differentiate yourself. So you have a... well, there's these sort of these two levels. So you want to be able for them to use your actual site and then they want you want them to be actually enjoy and come back to your site, which I right. think is where you can really differentiate yourself. If you can't even use your site, you're not really even in the same, how would you say, ballpark, yes. game, party. <laughs> so I think things like, um, say for example, particular e-commerce where websites, their only channel might be through the site if you don't get your site to work and if it isn't good to work then basically that's your revenue stream right as so, well. so i think it's really critical for those sorts of companies
0: you going to make a financial difference
1: yeah yeah i think from the the efficiency point of view one of the advantages of doing user experience particularly user-centered design approach is that you can design ideas more efficiently so With a user-centred design approach, what you start off with is looking at the requirements. So what are you supposed to build? Because if you're not building something that your customers want, then it's a very expensive mistake. So for example, I did a project uh, for a client where they wanted to show a brochure of fabric samples on a, a DVD ROM. And I went into all these professional clients who are like interior decorators and architects, and I said I got them to show them the the DVD and my remit was actually just to look at the the usability of the DVD but all I was getting was it sucks and I'd never use it I can't see the texture Um, I want the big fat book of samples I would never use this And some people were like I'd throw it in the bin and (laughs) to me it's like well they haven't looked at the requirements in terms of what they want to do so they've put a lot of money into creating something they think will add value and really it's, it's been misguided um, another example of the usefulness of user-centred design and requirements as I did a project for an American software company that was looking to create an international product and but all the development was being done in the States mm. and they had all these assumptions around how people use computers in the internet and our project was to go to different countries and say well actually will that work and what are the needs for this kind of um, product?" And we came back with all sorts of things that you know the developers and the development team in the states had no idea. So, you know, a lot of Americans have their PC on and broadband uh, in their living room, in their dining room or living room on mm-hmm. all the time. This mm-hmm. is, of course, particular probably the, the better off families they're mm-hmm. looking to sell to. But in places like Germany, it's not appropriate to have technology in a family space. So you'd have oh right, quite, so different, quite a
0: different way of consuming.
1: Yeah, a different way of um, the way they approach technology. So, I mean, these, it, it's not to say the product wouldn't be useful, but how you would present the product or yeah. what form it might take might be different. So, with user centered design, often that the first thing you know we like to do is think about what the needs are and what are the, what are the requirements for it, and then you go into looking at design solutions. So, coming up with even just sort of paper sketches and ideas mm-hmm. around what kind of solutions for these needs and you go through a cycle of then evaluating and then redesigning. So you might have some conceptual ideas and you put in front of customers and then you go back and refine it and then you build a prototype and then you put in front of customers and you go through the cycle of refinement. And in terms of efficiency, I think it's it's really good because you get to work out all these ideas rather than building the whole thing, launching it, and then seeing if it works.
0: Right. So you're actually saying that by using... This technique, you're actually going to end up with less development time?
1: Yeah, it's much more expensive to fix problems or uh, re-engineer it post-implementation. So this can be um, a really efficient, cost-effective way and I think a more innovative way Mm -hmm. as well to look at different ideas and solutions before you build it. It's not to say that you won't change it after you build it and I think any good product and service needs to have continual... um, Feedback and refinement but I think that's one of the strengths of doing a user-centred design approach where you're putting the person basically at the center of the design what do they need and then um, coming up ideas for design solutions and evaluating it with them so I think that builds well I think that's a very efficient thing and also it's a way to get a lot of value out of the design process as well
0: mm. so when you're doing this user testing how many people do you need actually come up with a with a with a result, like I would have thought, you'd need you know, several hundred, several thousand people to test a design on different demographics, different mm. uh, situations. How do you how do you cover all that in, a, in an efficient way?
1: That's a really good question. Um, what typically what usability testing does is they will use say maybe around ten people to test a prototype or really a product. Just ten. And that's because there was a, a piece of work done some years ago where I think it was, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was Jakob Nielsen and a colleague did um, an experiment where they, they had a, a system and they got numbers of customers' users in and they got the users to try different things and tasks to see how usable the system was. And every time there was a problem, it was noted. And what they did is they basically did an exhaustive... So they kept getting people in and people in and people in and people in, and then they graphed how many uh new or unique problems were added by all the subsequent interviews right and what they argued is that you can get about eight percent of the problems with around say eight users right so what I think is also valuable is that I think it's more efficient to do multiple rounds of design and refinement than to do one big, humongous study. And then you have one shot to get feedback and refinement. Because often with design, you have a problem and then you go, okay, this is a solution. And then no solution is perfect. And then you have other problems. So you're always kind of trading off what the most ideal solution is. So if you have multiple rounds, it gives you a chance to come up with the best compromise in a way rather than a one-shot huge study. I think the thing in terms of number of users also is that having about eight people coming in is also around identifying problems. So what I personally am uncomfortable with is generalizing too much to a wider population from eight users in terms of a, a positive finding. Right. So identifying problems and removing them, I think that's, that's a fair amount of people to do. If you're wanting to say generalize, uh, I don't know. Do all women like to look at pictures of kittens, and men like to look at pictures of cars? Uh-huh. I think you'll get a sense maybe from eight people, but right. I wouldn't be so keen to then say well, 80% of your target population likes to. You <laughs> yeah. know, it's an experimental design, uh-huh. or something that would be better done through larger scale surveys. Right. I think the good thing about usability testing, which is different to Focus groups Mm -hmm. is that usability testing are more focused on behavior when focus groups is more around people reporting their attitudes or how they feel. Right. And I think doing one-on-one sessions or watching people actually use things is much more realistic in terms of what people do than getting them to say what they do because they might not quite know what they do, Mm -hmm. especially if they're expert at what they do. They'll just say, oh, I just open it. And then you watch them, and they actually do six different things when they try and open it. So sort of the observational um, part of doing usability testing is really powerful, I
0: think. So you actually get people in to test things like uh, websites and and mobile phone user interfaces? Yeah, and
1: and games, uh, software. We haven't done work on this, but people have done work on medical equipment, for example, where it is quite important for it to Mm. work well. Mm. You don't hit the wrong button. People have done all sorts, we've done ticketing machines. Right. Human-computer interaction is basically anything about interaction between people and a computer, anything with a computer chip in it, um, both in terms of the hardware and the software. It's usually around things with screens, generally.
0: Okay. So it's actually, so it's fundamentally the user interface of some computerized device of some sort. Yeah. Okay, so how do the, how do the just how do the people feel... When they come in to do this testing, I presume you recruit people essentially off the street to try these things.
1: Uh, what we do is we tend to we have uh, characteristics of the customers, so we want to you know show it to people who are going to be the end users of the product. Right. So we typically would use a specialist recruitment agency and say, you know, we want people who are into buying mobile phones of you know certain behaviour. And clients often have certain demographics or that they're interested in looking at. So going back to your question around, well, a particular customer characteristics and how many you would test, we would typically try and get, um, you know, a chunk of people from each segment if we think they're different enough or they might have different behaviour. So um, an example might be you're trying to sell mortgages on a website and you're interested in first-time buyers and you're interested in people who are, have done it a few times, mm-hmm. and they'll tend to have quite different behaviour and quite different needs. So it's important to to have you know six or so of the novices and six or so of the of the experts to get both types of
0: feedback. As a usability expert, do you see user interfaces and go, oh, that that can't work; they, they haven't thought about these things? Or
1: yeah, I think a lot of people who do this job do because they really, really like it and really passionate in it, mm-hmm. and it does start invading your complete perspective. <laughs> so you know, even if you start lining up to go to the movies, and you see that the way that they've, they've <laughs> the the organized the the queue just doesn't make sense, yeah. <laughs> it sort of bleeds into sort of user experience in general, mm. which is something where I think what we do is going to broaden out into right. sort of looking at more the holistic user experience across the experiences they have in total so you know they use the site then they'll call up the call center then they'll go into the store and then they'll get the envelope at home but it won't make any sense because it doesn't match what's on the website and I think in order trying to create good user experiences that's something which I which I'm personally very interested in and I think it will be more of the next phase of what we do Mm -hmm. a bit having a bit of a broader perspective but in terms of sort of noticing bad sign, you do get you do do it because you you like what you do, but also you start you see the patterns. Mm. You know things like um, modal interfaces. So if you push the red button when it's in one mode, it will save it. If you push the red button in another mode, it will delete it. And if the, the system doesn't tell you which mode it is in, you know that <laughs> yes, that kind yes. of thing. Yeah. Or or just you get more of a and seeing it's like when someone can't program their vcr because it's 10 identical buttons with really bad labeling mm-hmm. you know and just and they get they think they're stupid you guys no it's not you <laughs> <laughs> it's really not you because i think as i was saying before it's the computerization of our world is increasing mm-hmm. there's actually um a part of HCI called ubiquitous computing, which is where people are interested in how the computing becomes more embedded into our environment. So instead of you basically interact with computers by going to work and you have your PC, you have computers and your a ticket machine and your phone and your Walkman and your you know so I think it's really I think it's becoming important not only in terms of commercial sense like adding value in terms of differentiating But just making it more humane for everyone as well Well,
0: it's certainly a a good goal to have So looking into the future now as someone that spends their life understanding how people interact with with computers and machines How do you see the future? We're looking we're seeing more and more interfaces that are to do with movement or human movement or touching Where do you see the future going?
1: Well, I think that there's a few things. I think, one, technology changes will always push the need for work and user experience. But I think also people, um, designers, are experimenting with different interfaces as well. So, for example, are talking about gestural, You know, when the first mouse was created, that was someone coming up with an idea about how do you interact mm. with a computer that isn't command-line t- typing or the first GUI's you know that's it's all very different ways of of um, interacting with computers around um, the human computer interface I think other things that are interesting is around this sort of complexity and and simplicity so I, I think it's interesting that sometimes you get a little bit of a <laughs> ideal with design I think because You can see someone struggling with something that's complex, but if it has 10 more features than the competitor, sometimes the customer thinks it's a better deal. Right. They get more stuff. So I think designers are, um, are often very concerned about uh, simplicity and good, and good simple design is often the better design because it also relates about who you're designing for. Mm. So, good user-centered design is focusing on who you're designing for, saying no to certain things, and and making a good experience. So, I hope that 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 will win through, and I think it does. I mean, if you look at the iPod, you look at Google, they have made very conscious decisions about cutting stuff out. But sometimes, when you see people like buy a washing machine. And there's like 30 features, <laughs> you know, 27 of them they'll never use. But, you know, yeah. by the time they buy it, get fed up with it, five years later, they buy another washing machine. Will it make a difference? I don't uh, On their buying behavior? I don't know. I think it's interesting. I think the, the final thing I think is interesting is, um, you know, the what people are talking about in terms of convergence of technology as well. Mm-hmm. So you have the iPhone, which is now... You know really pushed as your ipod and your phone and you see that with other mobile phones for example as well being your office calendar plus mm. your walkman plus your radio plus your phone and i think that's a balance between again i guess simplicity and complexity does it do what it's doing well but also saves you from carrying 10 different things i don't know oh, fun things to think about <laughs> I think it's interesting talking about the business issues in design I think designers often don't come from a, a real business background so there has been talk about things like return on investment and how do you quantify the value of design and I think that's something that we could work on more on clarifying that and you know I've spoken to some designers and they're more like you know the, the value of what we do and the um, passion for what we do uh, will become apparent. So they sort of do more of a long-term partnership with the client's small projects and build and build and build until you get to sort of more strategy level around what should we build. But I think I think we shouldn't be afraid of doing things like business cases, for example. You know, if you can... Uh, I used to be a management consultant and I did lots of, like, cost models for things, for for, for new business ideas. and you know often when it's a new idea or product or service you don't you can't necessarily predict the exact take-up but you make estimates and assumptions around what the impact of your project might be and I don't think we should be afraid to do that either I mean yes what we do doesn't exist in a vacuum so if you do work on a a website or a product and you know these technology these technology will feed into it and what competitors will feed into it as well but I mean that's the same for anything in business
0: they really see usability as another tool in order to create a good good business, well, uh, as part of the business process.
1: Yeah, and I think absolutely need to. I mean, user centered design should incorporate lots of different elements of a business. So it should incorporate obviously the technology people, the branding people, the business priorities, and also the user experience people. Otherwise, it's just not going to work. So what I do, and what a lot of User-centered designers do tends to be more around what are the, the what are the requirements. You would do observation, you do design solutions, and you will be doing wireframing and information architecture about the content and the functionality and all that sort of thing. But it sits within the, the wider commercial world of it, you know, of of branding and what the competitors are doing, and of course the technology in order for it to work as well.
0: Natalie, thanks very much for talking to me today.
1: No problem, thank you.